0: So I realized something not long ago. I realized something not long ago that I was just in this season. I don't know if you ever have this kind of a season where you feel like you're in this season and you're so busy. There's like so much going on. It feels like you're just going a thousand miles a minute. There's so much to do and you're just kind of hanging on. It's kind of like you're, you're, you're riding a bike and you're going down this big hill and you're just holding on to the handlebars, hoping to stay on. And I realized this is just the season that we're in. And I kind of feel like, It's just necessary for us to push through. And then hopefully at the end, then we'll have peace and and, and be content. I mean, this is the season we're in. We've got five kids, and and that makes busy. Springtime brings baseball season. So we have four boys on four different baseball teams. Try that on for size. That just gets really busy. My daughter's in ballet, so there's all the stuff going on with the kids. Um, Then... Then, of course, we've got the church, and and the church is growing. And and I always feel like at church, there's more things for me to do than there is time for me to do it. I don't know if anybody feels that way. But I always feel like there's so much to do, and I just can hardly get my mind around all that needs to happen. And then uh, then my wife, she is picking up some hours, filling in for Danielle at the office. So she's working part-time, and so there's all this stuff going on. And then on top of this, I decided I wanted to get in shape. And so I started going and playing basketball with some guys. And that creates a whole different element of of hurt and pain and a bad back. And so there's all this stuff going on. And it's all good. It's all necessary. I want my kids to be involved. I want my kids to be engaged. I want my wife to to have this opportunity. And, And we want to do all of this stuff. And I just kind of feel like we're in this season. And I can just think, man, if we can just get through this season, then things would slow down. I'd be content. There'd be peace. There'd be joy. But then I started realizing that this season that I'm talking about has actually been going on for years. It just keeps going. It's this ongoing cycle where I always say it's just this season, but this season ran into the season before it, and that ran into the season before it, and they just keep going because there's always, life always has something in front of me. Like if I just pursue this, and we get through this, then we'll have arrived. Then it will be good. But life always has that thing dangling in front of me. And so I'm always in this season where there's something in front of me that I'm pursuing and trying to get after. There was a pastor, a friend of mine, who commented about uh, Jim Carrey at the Golden Globes this past year. Anybody watched the Golden Globes a couple weeks, a couple months, month, month or two ago? Jim Carrey was uh, was at the Golden Globes and he was there to present the award for uh, the, the, the best Comedy or the best musical. Now, I don't, the Golden Globes, this is where they honor and recognize the, the best uh, movies or TV shows, that sort of thing. And so Jim Carrey's there. He's going to present this award, and the announcer announces Jim Carrey like this We said, We'd like to introduce to you to give out this next award, two time Golden Globe award winner, Jim Carrey. And, and Jim Carrey comes out to kind of give the award. But before he does that, he kind of goes on this little monologue. This little monologue kind of goes off script. And this is what he said. There's actually some some really insightful comments that Jim Carrey said. This is what he said. He said, thank you. He says, I am two-time Golden Globe Award winner, Jim Carrey. He says, you know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just some guy going to sleep at night. I'm two-time Golden Globe Award winner, Jim Carrey, going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And he says this, and he says, and when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream of being three-time Golden Globe winner, actor Jim Carrey. And everybody kind of laughs and everybody's having a good time. And he says, because then I would be enough. It would finally be true and I could stop this, this, this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. And it's funny because you're kind of watching this show and, and, and seeing the way the audience, and, and everybody was laughing until he said that last part. And then it's kind of like everybody's laugh turns into that un, uncomfortable laugh, you know, where like, like he's just pulled the carpet out from this whole show. Like you've got all these people who are there and they're so excited because they want to win this award. They want to win this prize. And Jim Carrey said, hey guys, I man, I've won two of them. And guess what? It didn't do it. It didn't do it for me. It still left me hungry for more. It didn't give me that, that feeling of contentment, of peace, of joy that I was searching for. And he finishes and says, but these, these, important, these awards, they're important. He said, I don't, I don't want you to think that if you blew up our solar system and nobody would be able to find uh, any evidence of human history with a naked eye, but from our perspective, this award is important. Think about the audience at those Golden Globes. You've got some of the best actors, the best directors from all over the world. These are uh, some of the most successful, uh, most well-to-do. These are some of the most beloved people in in our country. And and, and they've come to to win the award for being the best. You know, it's it's not enough just to be good. It's not enough just to be successful. They want to win the award so they can say, I'm the best. I'm the best actor, I'm the best actress, I'm the best director, I'm, I'm the best makeup artist of a supporting cast member of a foreign indie film. You know, they've got all those weird awards they give out. And it's not enough just to be the best once. These people want to be the best again and again and again. And what's so intriguing about what Jim Carrey said is he's kinda, he kind of hones in on this core issue. This core issue, not just for those in that room, not just for us in this room, but a core issue for all of humanity. The, the, the issue of discontentment. Discontentment. Kerry says, man, I've already won, I've, I've won this award twice. I've been the best twice and it still isn't enough. I want more. I want more. And ironically, he says, he realizes this isn't going to fulfill my need. It isn't going to satisfy what's gone wrong with me, but I still want more. Any of you identify with feelings of discontent? Start thinking about your life. Most of us are living for that next thing. We think, man, if I just had that next car, if I just had that next relationship, if I could just get through to the next stage of life, if I could just get there, then I'd be set. Then I'd be content. And so it's kind of like there's always something in front of us that if we could just get this. I mean, I think about this. I think about a teenager. Think about being a teenager. A teenager, all they can dream about is freedom, right? I just want freedom. I want to be on my own. And if I just could be free and move out and be on my own and make my own rules, then I'd be there. Then I would have arrived, okay? And then you get there. And then what happens next? Then you're like, man, if I could just find a spouse, right? I mean, you, if I could just get married, And so, you know, then you've got the next thing in front of you. And and maybe you find that someone, you get married. You're like, ah, nope, not there yet. Because then you start wanting a kid. Then you want a baby. And so, you know, then you you get a baby. and, And then one baby is enough. Now you want two or three or four and then you get these, all these babies and, and you're like, man, they're all in diapers. If I could just get them out of toddler age, then I'd be there. Then I'd be set. And then they get to teenagers and you're like, man, if I could just get them out of the house, get the teenagers out of the house, get them on their own, then I'd be set. And then you're like, well, what about retirement? And then, So there's always just something in front of us. This is the way our life plays out. We're looking for that next promotion, that next raise. We're looking for that better neighborhood. And this is where Jim Carrey was just hugely insightful. Because we dream, we, we, we dream that dream about the very next thing, whatever it is. And it's not enough. It's never enough. Because we're looking for something to fill a hole inside of us that it was never meant to fill. And this is the issue that Paul is going to address in Philippians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 10 through 13 this morning. This is a message we've titled, The Joy of Contentment. The Joy of Contentment. You might say, well, well, how are you going to define contentment? And we'll just be clear. Contentment could be defined as being satisfied. Having this inner calm within inside of you. And normally when we're talking about contentment, this is what happens as we, we, we look outside of us. We look at circumstances, we look at things outside of us, and if they're just right, then that leads to having this, this inner peace, this satisfied feeling inside of us. And so we're looking for something outside to help us feel content and satisfied on the inside. So this is a question I want us to deal with this morning. This is a question I want you to ask yourself. This is a question I want us to wrestle with. How tethered is your contentment? And how tethered is your joy to your circumstances? Think about your life. Think about what's going on in your life. How tethered is your contentment to the circumstances going on around you? Money, job, relationships. I mean, if all those things are going good, do you find that your joy goes up? And then if all those things are going bad, do you find that your joy goes down? How tethered is your joy to the circumstances in your life? Because Paul is going to teach us about contentment. He's going to teach us that our contentment, uh, the secret to contentment, isn't found in our circumstances. The secret to joy isn't found in our circumstances. It's found through Jesus. So before we jump in, I'm going to just ask you to, to... uh, close your eyes and, and pray for our time together with me this morning God just want to thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Sending your son jesus to die on the cross for us And god i'm thankful for the opportunity right now to open up your word god i'm thankful that uh, We're not here just to hear a pastor's opinion to hear some guy tell us this is how he thinks we should live But god, we're opening up your word uh, That you've given to us that you've said here's how we it works best. Here's what you should pursue. Here's how it should look. So God, I pray that you would understand this is your word speaking today. God, I pray as a pastor that you'd help me just to step out of the way, that you help my voice to be diminished, that your voice would be heard. God, I pray that you would meet us where we are. I pray as we deal with this issue of contentment that God, you would help us to, to find contentment through you. That God, you would help us to repent of the areas that we're discontent. That we look to you and see, see that you are enough. God, I just pray to help us to lean in this morning. God, I ask this in your name. Amen. So here's what Paul says. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So before we go any deeper, I think we need to just stop and remember the circumstance that Paul is writing this letter. If you remember, Paul was in prison in Rome. He'd been uh, arrested for, for preaching the gospel. And he's been in prison for some time. And he's p- potentially facing a death sentence. And uh, we've got to understand that prison in Paul's day was very different than ours. You know, in, 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 in our day, I mean, the authorities, they're going to provide some basic provisions for you. You're going uh, to have meals. You're going to have clothes provided for you. But in Paul's day, the authorities didn't provide any of those provisions. So if you're in prison and you wanted to be fed and you wanted to be clothed, you better hope that there's family and friends that still like you. Because they're they're going to be the ones that would have to provide food and clothing for you in order for you to survive. Otherwise, you would freeze and you would starve. And so if you remember the way this worked out, the Philippian church heard that Paul was in prison, so they, they took an offering. They collected an offering, a financial gift, and they sent a guy by the name of Epaphroditus to take this gift to Paul while he's in prison. And Paul writes this letter in response to that gift. And he's written about a couple different things. He's written about humility, about how we're supposed to be humble and we're supposed to consider others more significant than ourselves and seek others' interests before our own. Paul's written about having this eternal mindset that this world is so short and our lifetime is so short. And what we need to do, because eternity goes on forever, is we use this life to invest for the future. We invest this life into the life that is to come. And then Paul, last week, we saw he, he addressed some of the division and the anxiety that was caused by that division within the church. And he says, here's what you guys need to do because of this. And now Paul's getting ready to close his letter. And he's kind of preparing for his final purpose. He wants to thank the Philippians for their gift. He wants to thank them for sending this gift to them. So Paul says, thank you. He says, I, I thank you. He says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. This word revive, when he says, you have revived your concern for me, it kind of has this picture of like a blossom, something blossoming. We think, about, we think about a rose bush. You know, It's been dormant for a long, cold winter, and now it's beginning to, to flourish. It's beginning to blossom again. This is what Paul is saying about the Philippians and their relationship with Paul. For some reason, for some unknown reason, there hadn't been much relationship in the past uh, period of time between the Philippians and Paul. Maybe there wasn't some financial support. Maybe the Philippian church was dealing with recession, so they couldn't support uh, Paul financially. Don't know exactly what the issue is. And Paul's saying, thank you for the opportunity to revive that concern. He says, I know you always still, that, that concern for you was still there. I know you still loved me. You just didn't have an opportunity to show it to me. And I want you to notice, I want you to notice as Paul writes this, notice what he's thankful for. Notice what he's thankful for. I mean, the support was good. I'm sure he appreciated the financial gift. I mean, that helped meet some needs, and that's good. But but notice more so through the language, Paul is more so thankful for their relationship. This is kind of the way that he he writes it. He, the language, he says, you've revived your concern for me. I know you were concerned before, but you didn't have an opportunity to show it. Paul is thankful to the Philippians for their relationship more so than their gift he's thankful that they are partners with him in the gospel they have committed to partnering together with the gospel of jesus christ to spread throughout the world and paul rejoices greatly because of what this meant to him more so than the gift the relationship meant more to him and this is why he's rejoicing greatly before the lord look what he says next in verse 11 paul says not that i am speaking of being in need but Paul's saying, you know, you've shown me care, you've shown me concern, and I'm rejoicing at that, but I don't want you to think that I'm just thankful for only your financial support. Don't, don't, don't misread me. When he says I was, uh, when he talks about being in need, this, this is a condition of lacking that which is essential. And Paul's saying, hey, I don't want you to be confused. I was not lacking anything that was essential. I had my needs provided. And I begin to think, I begin to think, Paul, Paul, really? Paul, you realize you're in prison, right? You're in prison, yet, Paul, you're saying you lack nothing that is essential? You aren't in need? Now, I begin to think about myself. And I, man, I mean, if you and I were going to have a conversation, we could talk about our needs, right? You could, you know, I could say a number of things I need. I mean, I, I need a new car. I mean, my car, you know, the fan doesn't work anymore, and that check engine light has been on for few months now you know i can talk about what i need i mean i need a bigger house well maybe i don't need a big maybe you know we've got seven people in our family maybe we just need a second bathroom maybe that's all we need is a second bathroom i mean i mean i can talk about my needs i could i I need a few more dollars i mean i need i need a few more friends i need a few more hours in my day i mean we could talk about needs i don't need a lot i mean i'm not asking for everything i'm just my needs are, are are just little but you know little need a little bit But man, I think about Paul. (laughs) I think about Paul. Paul has no need. He's sitting in prison. He's got nothing going for him. And he says, man, I don't have any need. And it makes me feel just a little bit self-conscious that I think I have these needs. Because here's Paul sitting in prison and saying, I have no needs. And here I am sitting in probably the the wealthiest country in the world, giving many privilege and opportunity yet I have need. What's your need? I mean, these needs come from a feeling of discontentment. When we think about needs, it's because these are areas that we feel discontent in life. We feel unsatisfied. So where, where are you feeling discontent? Where are you feeling that there is a need in your life? Because we can look to Paul and say, man, Paul is in prison, yet he has no need and i begin to say well say well well paul how can you say that how can you be in prison and say you have no need and this is he's going to unpack that for us in verse 12 or excuse me in the rest of verse 11 paul says verse 11 he says not that i am speaking of ne- of being in need for i have learned in whatever situation to be to content paul says i have learned in whatever situation i am in to be content being content it's the opposite of being in need. It's the opposite. And he, Paul's saying, I'm not lacking anything essential. That's what it means to be content. It's the opposite of being in need. I don't lack anything that is essential. And I, I, again, remember, Paul's in prison. You've got to remember when he's writing about being content, he's in prison, he's facing a potential death sentence. He's got this hardship, and Paul is saying, my contentment isn't tied to my circumstances. You see what he's doing here? He's saying, I can be content despite my circumstances. This word content was a popular word in Paul's day when Paul's writing this letter. Actually, the Stoic philosophers are, are some of the people that use content more than anybody else. The Stoic philosophers, uh, contentment was the essence of all the virtues. It was the greatest virtue of all. And so in Stoic philosophy, they had this idea that, that our joy and our satisfaction and our happiness, it wasn't dependent on anything circumstantial. And so for a Stoic, you could find, you could find joy through self-sufficiency. You could find happiness and contentment through self-sufficiency, independent of anything around you. We think about what it looks like to be stoic. We think about Spock from Star Trek. Maybe maybe you, you picture the, the, the Queen's Royal Guard, you know, the guys that stand outside the Queen's castle and stand so stoically and are not supposed to move. I mean, this is what it means to be stoic. Socrates, he would have been the epitome of, of stoic philosophy. In fact, one of his... One of his disciples was the founding father of, 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 of Stoic philosophy. So Stoicism really becomes emotional detachment. It's I'm going to detach emotionally from what's going on so that way I can ensure that I can be Stoic and I can find joy and happiness. So a Stoic would say, I can find happiness in the midst of anything, of hunger, of, of, of sickness, of, of death, because what they do is they detach themselves from all of those things. They, they shut off the pain. They don't allow love. They don't allow concern for other people because they want to protect themselves so that way they can stay self-sufficient and not be influenced by anybody else. Listen, a life like that is not life at all. A life without love is no life at all. The Christian life... Man, Love, love, love requires risk. Love requires risk. But life without love is no life at all. And so Paul is saying, "Hey, I'm not talking about stoic, stoicism here. I'm not talking about us trying to be stoic. The Christian life is not about trying to avoid hardship. It's not about trying to avoid hurt and pain. Paul's saying that being content and and having joy isn't about self-sufficiency. It isn't about your circumstance. Paul's saying my contentment and my joy, it comes from something immovable. My contentment and my joy isn't found in my circumstances around me. It's found in Jesus. It's anchored in Jesus. It could because when circumstances change, and we all know our circumstances change, we all know life happens. Life happens when we least expect it. No matter how much we plan for things to go good, life happens. And, and it throws us curveballs, and things change. And, 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 and we can still have contentedness. We can still have joy. Because our contentedness and our joy should be steadily anchored in something that is immovable. And that's Jesus. See, the key to contentment isn't avoiding hurt. Our key to contentment is finding sufficiency in Jesus in the midst of that pain. Finding sufficiency in Jesus in the midst of that hurt, of that trial, of that difficulty. And This is what Paul says. He says, I've learned to be content in any situation. And he describes what he means by any situation in verse 12. He says in verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul says, in any circumstance, I have learned the secret of being content. And I, again, I look at this and I think, really, Paul? Really, Paul, any and every circumstance? No matter what you're going through, Paul, you can be content. Paul, you don't know what I'm going through, Paul. Paul. You don't know what's going on in my life, Paul. Like Paul, Paul, Paul. Have you ever felt lonely, Paul? Yeah. Have you ever been rejected by family and friends? Have you ever had people that just hurt you and leave you when you most needed them, Paul? Paul, Paul. You don't know what I've been through, Paul. Paul. Have you ever been abused, Paul? Have you ever been taken advantage of, Paul? Paul. What about what about physically suffering, Paul? I mean, I've got this chronic illness. I've got this devastating news, Paul. Have you ever experienced that? And Paul would say, yeah. Yeah, I've experienced all those things. I've experienced more. In fact, in Paul's other letters in the New Testament, he shares some of the struggles that he faced. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, To this present hour we hunger and thirst, and we're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless he says, uh, when slandered, uh, he said, we were slandered. We were uh, uh, the, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul says, we've been brought low. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, five times, five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was drift at sea. Paul says, man, I had danger from thugs. I had danger from criminals. I had danger from my own kinsmen, my own family, my own friends. The people are supposed to have my back. I was at danger from all of these people. He says, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, I was often without food and cold and and, and exposure. Paul says not only that, but Paul says he had this thorn in this flesh. This thing that kept nagging at him time and time and time again. And Paul says, man, I prayed to God. God, would you remove this from me? And and this is is how God answers. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. for For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's saying, hey, all that stuff you're dealing with, I've been there too. I've dealt with the hardship I've dealt with it all. And this is what God said to me. In the middle of all of that suffering, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Despite the devastating circumstances all around Paul, Jesus was enough. Paul lost everything. He lost all of his money. He lost all of his friends. He lost all of his comfort. He's suffering to the point of death And God was still enough for him. His grace was sufficient for Paul. See, here's the interesting thing, though. I mean, it would seem that the secret to being content, the secret to joy when you are lacking, when you are struggling, when you're going through hardship, it would seem that the answer would be the opposite. It would be abundance, right? I mean, if you're, if you're hungry, you'd think that the solution to be hungry is having food. You'd think that hey, if, you're, if, you're, if you're lacking uh, relationships, you'd think that the answer to that would be more relationships, an abundance of relationships. And uh, look at the words that Paul uses. He says, he says, I've learned the secret of facing hunger and plenty, of facing need and of abundance. Because listen, the answer to need is not abundance. The answer to need is not abundance. The answer to hunger is not having plenty. I mean, we think we think in whatever difficulty we're in, whatever hardship we're going through, man, if I could just get that next thing, if I could just get this, then, then I'd be set. Then I'd be content. And Paul, Paul knew about this. Paul came from a, an affluent family. Paul would have been well-educated. Paul had a successful career as a religious leader within the Jewish culture. Paul was successful on any means. I mean, he'd been there. I mean, in fact, even when Paul came to Philippi and planted the church, remember remember Lydia? She was the first convert to Christianity. She was the first church member at Philippi. She was well-to-do. Paul stayed with her, so she took care of his needs. He stayed in a posh house, got taken care of by Lydia I mean, Paul understood what it meant to have abundance, and Paul says abundance is not the answer either, because actually abundance can actually be harder. The abundance can abundance can actually be harder than having not enough. In the Bible, the Bible always talks about times of abundance being hard, because when we are in when we're when we have abundance, we feel like we have enough. When we, when, we, when we are in a, an abundance, we feel like, man, I have everything I need. I don't have a need for God. I don't have a need for anything else because I have everything I need right here. I can provide for myself. And so we numb ourselves with comforts. We numb ourselves with privilege. And if we're going to be honest, for those of you that have been in the spot of abundance, is it ever enough? Is it ever enough? Or is it kind of like getting on a treadmill? And you think, man, I've got this, but I'm going to keep pursuing and keep running to the next thing. And you keep running and running and running, continuing to try to get more and more and more. And it's never quite enough. If we're going to be honest, it's never quite enough. So this is what Paul says. In any circumstance, whether I'm hungry or whether I have a lot, whether I have a little or whether I have abundance, in any circumstance I'm not sure what your circumstance is this morning but I'd guess that your circumstance follows falls somewhere on the lines that Paul just described probably somewhere between plenty and hunger between abundance and need what is your circumstance this morning? are you lonely? Have you lost friendships you lost? People you can depend on. You've got these holes in your life of if you just desire, man, I wish somebody would just care for me. I wish somebody would just love me and be there for me. What's your circumstance this morning? Maybe you're just looking for the next promotion. You're in a job that you can't stand. You say, Man, I wish I just had a job that I liked. I wish I had a job that valued me and appreciated me. What's your circumstance this morning? Maybe you're, in that, maybe you're in that season with kids. This hardship of kids where it's just a daily grind. You're just like, man, I wish I, wish I could just get through this season and get to the next season. What's your circumstance this morning? Maybe you've got this, this, this physical difficulty, this chronic illness that you're constantly dealing with, waking up every day to face it again and again and again. Maybe it was that devastating diagnosis. What is your circumstance that you are dealing with today? This is hard stuff. The goal through this is not to be stoic. The goal is for you not to detach emotionally from what's happening. These are real desires. These are real hurt. These are real longings that we have inside of us. Man, own that. Own that pain. That's hard stuff. There's nothing wrong with, with owning the hardship of life. But remember, the secret isn't tied to your circumstance. The secret to contentment isn't tied to those circumstances. I love the term that Paul uses because he he describes it as a secret. He says, I have learned the secret. And it kind of has this picture of like a secret club. Like a secret club and you got to kind of get initiated in to become a member of the club. So you've got this club on the inside and then people are on the outside looking at these group of people and say, man, I want what they have. I see what they have, and I want some of that. I just I just don't know how to get there. I don't know how to get in. I don't know how to become one of the, the, the inside members. And Paul says, I've learned that secret. I know the secret. And here's the secret. Paul says in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Anybody ever heard that verse before? I mean, this is the kind of verse. This is a well-known verse. This is the one where you go to any 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 gym, and it's like it's taped above the weight bench, you know. So that way, when you're doing your bench press, I can do all things. I mean, this is the kind of verse that parents tell their four-year-old kids, "Hey, you could be president someday because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." I mean, this is this is where when I go play basketball on Thursday nights, I'm like, man, I can dunk it. I, I, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm five foot seven and I got like twenty inch hops. I got that, but I can I can dunk it, right? We look at this verse and we think, man, man, it's saying that that, that I can do whatever I want to do through Christ. But listen, that's not what it's saying. This verse, it's not saying that you and I can do anything you and I want to do through Jesus. It's not what it's saying. That's not true. What it's saying is something better, saying something completely better. Context context is key. And so when Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, all things is going to refer back to what Paul's just talked about. All things refers to facing hunger and facing need and difficulty, as well as facing abundance and facing plenty. Paul's saying in all of those things, in all of these circumstances, I can find joy and I can find contentment through Christ who strengthens me. When we see the word through him, in that verse, it also could be translated in him. I can do all in him who strengthens me. No matter the circumstances, no matter if my team wins or loses, no matter whether or not I can do the bench press or not, I can do all things in him because of Jesus. I can be content. See, the key to being content here is being in Jesus. It's being in Him. It's being united to Jesus. This, is, this being united to Jesus, this union to Jesus, is at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that Jesus died for you, and because of His death for you, you and I had a union with Him, where your guilt has been forgiven, your dirtiness has been washed away, because of our union with Christ. Because of of that union with Christ, that that slavery that you and I feel sometimes we can't escape, we can be liberated through the death of Jesus. And listen, we're not just united to Jesus in his death, but we're united to him in his life. Listen, that gives us meaning. That That gives us joy. That gives us purpose in life. See, in Jesus, in Jesus, we have enough. In Him, we don't need other circumstances to give us joy and contentment. In Jesus alone, we have enough. Paul says, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This means that because of Jesus, because of Jesus, I can face anything because I have a good, good Father who loves me and is concerned for me. He's saying because of Jesus, I can face rejection because I have a good God who accepts me. He's saying because of Jesus, I can face the reality of my own brokenness because I know I've been forgiven by God. He's saying because of Jesus, because of Jesus, I can face the shame that I feel for the things that I've done because I know that my father has washed me clean. Paul's saying, because of Jesus, I can face times of uncertainty where I don't know what the future holds because I have a good father who's on my side, who's working all things out for good to those who love God. Paul's saying, because of Jesus, I can face the worst possible scenario. I can face death. Because Paul's already said in chapter 1 that if I die, that's gain because I get to be with Jesus face-to-face, and I get to be with God in eternity. Paul's looking at all of his hardships. He's looking at all of his imprisonment and his suffering and his whippings and his beatings and his stonings and even the the potential face of death. He's saying, those things don't have my joy. They can't steal my joy. They can't steal me being content because my joy and my contentment is anchored in Jesus alone. I don't know about you, I start thinking about this. And I'm like, man, that sounds good. That sounds awesome. Like, I want some of that. Like, I I want to have that kind of immovable joy. I want to have that contentment in my life. I want to be mature this way. But if I'm going to be honest with you, if I'm going to be honest with you, my contentment and my joy are tethered to my circumstances more than I ever want to admit. Just being honest with you. I mean when there's uncertainty going on when there's things I'm unsure of man I've got anxiety I've got worry just like anybody else when somebody wrongs me when somebody hurts me I get hurt I get angry just like anybody else when things don't go the way I want them to man I get frustrated bothered by that man when 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 I'm feeling lonely when I'm lonely, I'm discouraged. I'm sad, just like anybody else, just like all of us. The question we have to ask ourselves is, how tethered is our contentment and our joy to our circumstances? Because to some degree, it is. That's just the reality of it. The question is, how much? Because let me tell you, that, that th- those feelings uh, are, are dis- of discontentment, they reveal something deep inside of us. When we have those feelings of discontentment, when our our contentment and our joy is tethered to our circumstances around us, it's very revealing to what's going on inside of our heart. See, I would say that discontentment reveals practical atheism. See, sure, we can, theologically, we can can agree with what the Bible says. We can agree and, and believe in God. But practically, sometimes we don't live that way. I mean, yeah, mentally, yeah, we affirm and we believe all those things, but practically, it's a little bit harder to actually live on what we actually say that we believe. Because if if we believe that God is who He says He is, if we believe that His promises are true, if we believe that promise that He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, if we believe that promise that He said, all things work for good to those who love God, if we believe those things... Then we wouldn't be discontent. We wouldn't be. So honestly, I mean I I can I can I can teach the Bible. I can quote the Bible. I mean, I've given my life to the ministry of Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm full in theologically, I'm full in to what this book says. But my discontentment in life reveals something within me. Reveals that there's still parts of me. That my Joy is still tethered to my circumstances. Man, God, do you really have this? Man, God, do you really care? Man, God, can you really do something here? I just don't see it, God. It reveals that my, content and my contentment and my joy, again, is more attached to my circumstances than I'd like to admit it really is. If that's you, if you're saying, man, I, I want to have that contentedness. I want to have that joy. I want to say Jesus is enough, but I I struggle through this. I'm kind of like you, Pastor, where, where I struggle because I know that there are parts of me that are still too much tethered to my circumstances. If that's you, let me encourage you in this. Let me encourage you with one more thing. One little phrase that Paul says in verse 12. Verse 12, Paul says, I have learned. I have learned in whatever situation... Paul's learned. He hasn't always had it figured out. Paul's not saying, hey man, hey man." when I was getting those 39 lashings and getting beaten, man, he's not saying when I was shipwrecked, I had it all figured out. He's not saying when I'm in prison and facing a death sentence, I'm not perfectly content. I'm not perfectly full of joy. Paul is saying all of these things that he's gone through, his lifetime of suffering and trials and walking through refining fire, Paul's saying those things God has used him to teach him this idea about being content in Jesus, that Jesus is enough. And Paul's at this point of his life, and he's looking back at all the trials, both abundance when he's tempted to, 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 not, to forget that he needs God, as well as those times when he was lacking, when he's tempted to, to believe that the, the answer is change in circumstance. Paul's saying, in both of these situations, in all sorts of of trials and abundance, I have learned that God's grace was sufficient for me. He looks back on his journey and says, I have learned through that difficulty that God was enough. And this gives me hope. This gives me hope because God used Paul's hardships. God used Paul's suffering and his difficulty to teach him something to teach him that Jesus was enough. And if Paul, and if God did that for Paul, if Paul, if God used those things in Paul's life to teach him this thing, then I have to hope and believe that all the things that God is carrying me through right now, all these circumstances that are so difficult, that God is trying to teach me something, that he is enough, that his grace is sufficient for me right now. That my contentment and my joy is found in him and nothing else. God is teaching me to become more mature. God is teaching me to become more rooted in the gospel than I ever was before. Listen, would you join me in this fight? Would you join me in this fight against being discontent? Would you join me in this fight to, to be content and to find our contentment and our joy in Jesus instead of our circumstances? Would you join me in this fight? I have this picture that we could become that, 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 that group of people. Again, remember that, the idea of a secret group who they haven't figured out and, and people on the outside want some of that. When we think about our mission as a church to know Christ and to make Christ known, man, we want to make a difference in our city. We want to make a difference in our world. Imagine if you and I could find our contentment through Jesus. People would look at us and say, man, I want what you have. What's the secret? And that's when we come with the message of the gospel. Jesus is enough. Imagine what God could do through us if we said Jesus was enough. Would you pray with me? God, I feel as though I just have to stand before you and apologize and confess. God, of how many times, how many times I think that if I just had this, if this just happened, then I'd be content and I'd have joy. God, I'm sure there's some of us in here today who are saying the same thing. God, I pray that when we talk about your grace being sufficient, when we talk about the secret of contentment isn't tied to our circumstances, is found in you. God, we can agree to that mentally and theologically, and we can ascribe to that. But God, I pray that you would help us practically, that we would actually believe that your grace is sufficient for us here and now, no matter our circumstance that we're going through. Whatever hardship we're facing, whatever difficulty we're facing, that we would... Practically believe that your grace is sufficient. You are all we need to be content. God, I pray that you would continue to help us learn this. That you would continue to help us learn this in our lives. To know that, God, we aren't alone. That, God, you are good. That, God, you are with us. God, I pray that you would just help us to embody this in life for every one of us. God, I pray for those who have come here today, God, coming to church because, God, there's there's brokenness around me. God, there's hardship around me. And God, I need something. God, I pray that today you would be enough for them. God, I pray that your grace would, would fill them in ways that they've never experienced before. That your love would surround them in ways that they've never experienced before. That, God, they would say, God, you are enough. I feel your presence now. God, and I know that my joy and my contentment isn't tied to anything else, it's tied to you. God, give us contentment today. Give us your joy. God, I pray that we would be people that put this to practice in our lives. That God, as we live lives in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, that we would say, Jesus, you are enough. God, I pray for anybody in here today who doesn't know you as your Savior. But has not come into a life-changing relationship with you. That today they would make the decision to become, come into a union with you. That they would be found in Christ. That they would open up their hearts and open up their minds and say, God, God, I'm tired of doing this my way. God, I want to come into a relationship with you. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to come and save me. I want you to forgive me of my sins take me to heaven when I die, that I can become your child today. That I can experience contentment and joy in all new ways. God, I want to thank you for for meeting us here now. And as we have the opportunity now to respond to your word, God, I pray that we would take these next two songs, Lord, some of us just need to cry out to you. Confess our discontentment. Confess that, God, you are enough. Pray that we take that time just to pray before you and and cry out to you. And, God, I pray for those in here today who can say, man, I've experienced that contentment. I've experienced that grace. I pray that they would just respond through worship, praising you for who you are and what you've done. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the contentment and the joy that you've offered to me. Jesus, I ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.